Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. RadioLeMans.com. Well, hello everybody, this is John Hindorf and another one of our WEC at the FIA World Endurance Championship preview specials here uh, on RadioLeMon.com. Yes, it's time to look at the FIA WEC for 2015 and the LMP1 cars. Grim Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com has joined me once again to look through what, of course, should have been uh, a few more for Silverstone. Um, but before we talk about the non-appearance of Nissan, because we do have to speak about that, let's talk about LMP1 generally, Graham. As we, I mean, the new regulations from the FIA and the ACO, which were debuted what a couple or three years ago, they were very technical, very intense. We all poured over them, um, and even people like Sam Collins from Race Car Engineering looked at them and said, "Hmm." How's this going to work? Is, is the balance, is the equalisation of technology going to work? Is it all going to work? And the answer is that we've now seen these regulations racing, and it has. But what we've also seen in the last year is probably as much movement forward, as much change, and as much development as in the first year that these regulations were brought from the old ones, these cars have come out and simply stunned us with their pace. Well, it, I think it, it proves, doesn't it, that um, we know the reasons why uh, spec racing has become uh, the norm in motorsports, but it just goes to show that there's a place still for the, 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 the potential innovation that clever people do clever things. And you're absolutely right, John. Stunning, I think, is the word. Um, you know, the, the level of progress in terms of the power these cars produce, the reliability these cars produce, um, you know, and in particular, the efficiency that these cars produce has been a vertical cliff. And, you know, what do we see? Look, let's talk a little bit about a couple of the effects that's had. We saw at the prologue a commitment from Toyota to two very important things. One is three more years. That's not a U.S. presidential uh, you know, promise. It's a motorsport <laughs> commitment. Now, that is 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 very good to start with. But the other thing we saw was a commitment from Toyota Motor, uh, Toyota, uh, Motor Corporation, the road car side of things, to adopt, or to rather to move back towards motorsport being at the, at the absolute uh, you know, epicenter of their R&D. That's massively important. Why is that important? Because actually the lessons that these cars are actually teaching the motor industry are real-world significant. This yep. is something where they can sell cars on the back of efficiency and performance. And we've not had that, I'm afraid, uh, in recent years. It's all but about image. It's all but about the kind of the, the, the fluff of marketing, if you like. But the, the reality now is that it's very much more relevant to your average Joe going out there and buying themselves, you know, a Toyota, a Porsche, you know, dare we say it, a Ford, an yep. Audi, um, you know, in a real-world showroom. And I think that, more than anything, more than anything else that you and I can throw at it in terms of 
uh, of praise and comment is the most significant thing. And to add to that, Graham, and completely agreeing with you, Ralph Yutner telling me in our Audi Meet the Team programme that we recorded down at uh, Recard that the pace at which those innovations are not trickling down now, but gushing down to road car has increased. And within maybe three years, which as he described it to me, is a minute in road car development terms. Uh, it, it, they are coming down quicker. We've already heard, as you rightly said, Toyota saying that they've now got to pretty much the uh, the absolute edge of technology as far as their uh, supercapacitors concerned and they're already looking at next year's car at a different uh, uh, hybrid style system which will be battery based as battery technology is being pushed on at a huge huge rate here and we are seeing motorsport doing what motorsport does best and that is basically being a 225 mile an hour at Le Mans laboratory that people are testing and Beyond that, they are pushing the boundaries. And I'll make this prediction at the start of this show that for this year in the FA World Endurance Championship, if the conditions are right, and by that I mean if the conditions are relatively dry, we will see qualifying lap records and race lap records in prototypes beaten at every single round. And at Le Mans, if somebody has the mind to do it, we will see a prototype LMP1 lap if someone has a mind to do this in qualifying, that I think is possibly down with a two at the front and followed very rapidly by a one and a five. Yes, I do hopefully, think... Hopefully a three. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, a three. At the, <laughs> yes, 2.15 would be the short track, wouldn't it? Um, yes, yeah, you're, a, you're, a, a three-minute, right, 15-second lap is on by my absolutely basic arithmetic. I, I agree with you entirely, and, you know... We, we've said it. We said it at the end of last season. We said it at the prologue. I mean, this is it's exciting, and I think that's the point. Is look at what's happening elsewhere in world motorsport at the moment. And in truth, the word exciting doesn't come up very often. This is exciting stuff. There is a window for all sorts of opportunities here, not just for the boring stuff like the commercials, but also for the the levels of. Um, of interest you're beginning to see from uh, from other manufacturers looking towards this as being a real alternative, not just to other forms of motorsport, but to not doing anything. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the thing we could yeah. end up here, John, uh, in the coming years with with new names into the World Endurance uh, Championship that are not being taken from elsewhere in the sport. Yeah, and in fact, I, I had a long chat with somebody uh, at the WEC. Um, launch event at the Royal Automobile Club in Pall Mall um, who was talking to me about more Far Eastern manufacturers who are looking very, very carefully. By the way, all those improvements in lap times and I know that lap times are not the necessarily the be-all and end-all, but in motorsport, we always look at a lap time. The stopwatch, they say, doesn't lie. But all of those improvements will be made with cars that have, in the region of half the horsepower from the internal combustion engine than the cars that will have set those lap records will have tyres that are smaller, aero kits that produce less downforce and will be using probably somewhere over 40% less fuel in any given lap 
as they break those lap records. And we are talking about not a generation, not 40 years, not 20 years. We are talking about within the gap of, what, five, six years that this has happened. And it's been driven on mainly in the last two or three seasons by the new regulations uh, that the FIA and the ACO have brought in. That's the background of what we got. It's brilliant for the sport. It's brilliant for the automotive industry and for the future of it going forward. But it's no good whatsoever if it doesn't provide excellent racing. Well, the good news for all of us is that it has done, and I see no change for 2015. With Toyota, with Audi, with Porsche at Silverstone, all with a pair of cars, uh, with uh, the two German brands adding a third car for Le Mans, with two Nissans coming for this season and three for Le Mans. Let's start with the world champions uh, down at Silverstone. Anthony Davidson, delighted to have the number one on his car and to be defending that. He's paired with uh, Sebastian Buemi and uh, Kaz Nakajima for part uh, of the season. Alex Wurtz, Stefan Sarasan and Mike Conway gets the full season in the highly revised uh, 040, the Toyota 040 hybrid, TS040 hybrid. The world champions, it's hard enough to win one. Can they defend it? Well, I'm going to correct you slightly because Kaz Nakajima will be a full season uh, driver this year. Yes, there's no, there's no, no clash. Well, for the first time, uh, no clashes for Kaz Nakajima. So he'll be adding to his, uh, you know, his uh, tally of race starts for Toyota. But Tant Davidson and Sebuemi arrive here as world champions. And, uh, and in particular, has had that smile that only a world champion uh, knows how to give <laughs> since, uh, since leaving Interlagos last year. And what can you say about this, this, this team? That car, I think, is the prettiest of the lot. Uh, of the lot we're going to see at Silverstone. Um, it is highly efficient. They've done an awful lot of work on the the things that matter in this formula. And you know what? I think had we not got somebody else that's got that tag, this is Formula E. This is Formula Efficiency because that's what oh. it's about. It's about efficiency. It's about how do you use the momentum? How do you use the power? How do you use that wisely? And what that means is that things like cooling and aerodynamics are absolutely at the peak of this. And the guys from Cologne have shown themselves from the very start of this programme that the absolute masters of that. And that's where, and we'll come on to talk about those cars in a moment or two, Audi and Porsche have had to catch up. And I think they have caught up. But uh, we've got a very similar-looking Toyota this year. But under the skin, uh, you know, lots of detailed differences. And, um, you know, and I think we're going to see a much quicker car. They've been very quiet in the off-season. Uh, various little bits, bits of information leaking out. They didn't do much in terms of head-turning performance at the prologue test. But what we were hearing from what the guys are producing testing was that they were even quicker than Porsche. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Porsche, four and a half seconds quicker than last year. Uh, and that the, I believe, uh, and I believe this to be correct, is the Toyota was quicker still by at least another second. Yeah. That's extraordinary progress. And that goes to show what happens when you give big-brained people the opportunity to do what they do best. Think it through, come up with solutions. Do not, do not count out Toyota. They want to retain this world championship. They badly want to win Le Mans. And they're now sitting there with the comfort blanket of a three-year commitment to develop these cars, these programmes forward. And just as a little... Uh, pointer perhaps to the season uh, in the last couple of years the the uh, 
the team that has won at Silverstone has become world champions. So uh, if you need any persuasion to go to Silverstone uh, and watch it in person, if you're able to do so, then uh, you may well be seeing the world champions um, effectively crowned at the first (laughs) race. Of course, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, That's the world champions. They're there. They're in for the full season. Only two cars still at Le Mans, although that may change in years to come. It is locked in for 2015, as Rob Loypen told me in one of our uh, preview, our prologue, rather, programmes from Paul Ricard. They are still available for download. If you haven't heard them, they will make an excellent companion piece to our preview programmes here with Graham. Um, let's talk about a couple of uh, efforts that won't be there. And the the he- headline, of course, is Nissan. Uh, they have failed the crash test, which gave them all kinds of logistic problems. The Failing the crash test, uh, it, that's it's a thing that needs to be addressed, Graham. It's not unusual on a new car. Plenty of people have, have had that in the past. But the timing of it was what really hurt them and their preparation. And so... I think, rather sensibly, they opted not to try and get themselves ready for Spa. They couldn't have got ready for Silverstone because by the time that they had re-crash tested the car, and it passed with flying colours, by the way, um, the uh, amount of time between that and the race uh, was too close in terms of regulations. Uh, But they've opted to wait to debut the car at Le Mans Test Day and then at the race itself and effectively throw themselves into what they weren't expecting, which is a lot of additional testing on that very, very radical front-wheel drive, front-engines GT RLM. Uh, Yeah. Now, what do we say about Nissan? Well, let's start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, as uh, someone said. Um, From the very earliest moments that we were aware what was coming, and in my case, that went back with Marshall Pruitt to October last year, um, the I think the they were always going to have their hands full in terms of getting this thing to the kind of levels of speed and efficiency we've been talking about for the other three factories. I think in whilst there would have been desperate moments, um, you know, through the program uh, as things started to go wrong, I think actually on reflection they'll be quite grateful for the opportunity to actually hone the package. Um, I'm hearing pretty good things about what's going on in testing with this car. There's there's an awful lot of cynics out there. Uh, will they come out and blow the rest of them away at, uh, at uh, Le Mans? Well, that'd be an extraordinary story, wouldn't it? I think we're going to see a very quick car. Um, are we going to see a car that will be able to duke it out with them over a full race distance at Le Mans? That's a hell of a test to, uh, to start your race program at, isn't it, really? But uh, the one thing I will say about this one, I think when people see this car in the carbon, it's going to be a fan favourite. I yeah. saw one for the first time at Marble Arch last week for the launch of the FIWEC, John, and uh, an extraordinary thing it looks. Uh, I just can't wait to see it, see them try. Everybody loves a trier. I can't wait to see whether or not this concept can produce on a level playing field with what, let's face it, are three of the most extraordinary race teams on the planet in any formula. Um, well, if you're going to have three extraordinary race teams against them, you might just as well have an extraordinary car. And that is what they've got. It is a headline grabber. If it performs, frankly, even half as well as it looks, you're going to have a contender. Yeah. And I suspect by the time we get into the second half of the season, you know, if they've got their sums right, I think you're going to see that car beginning to show the level of form which the guys would like to see it from. But uh, look out for this car. 
I think, uh, in certain aspects of the Le Mans meeting, because that is going to be one very quick motor car indeed. The the, the thinking behind it, and, and it's it's worthwhile spending a moment or two on this. And by the way, I, I, we should say that in the off-season, Nissan won the off-season with a car that nobody had seen to that point. Um, everybody was absolutely besotted with the idea that they could get pictures of it, that they knew more about everybody else about it, that it was powered by jam, uh, that it... (laughs) That it was uh, made out of, uh, it was made out of recycled. Well, let me, John, John let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give let me give you a figure here, or rather a, a snapshot sort of this one. With thanks to to Nissan, and actually particularly with thanks to Marshall Pruitt, um, on the launch day for the car, the Super Bowl commercial, you know, after around fifteen years of operation, our biggest traffic day ever on daily sports car, and by a distance, came with the launch of that car. Mm. Uh, now, bear in mind that means some of the extraordinary racing that you and I have talked about in mm-hmm. Le Mans for a decade and a half. Triumph and tragedy. Absolutely. Through, I mean, through all of that, uh, that was the biggest story we'd ever run by a distance. And, you know, what we need to see now is the guys coming out and delivering on that promise. And mm. I have every expectation, despite the cynicism, as I say elsewhere, that that's exactly what we're going to see. Now, I am not a technical person, as anyone uh, who many years ago was any of my science teachers uh, will <laughs> tell you. Um, however, I've been around clever people for long enough that tiny little bits of that tends... We've met the wife. Okay. Tends, yeah, well, indeed, yes. <laughs> tends, if not to rub off, then at least by some process of osmosis to find itself into the hind of psyche and... and by the way, working for Ray Malik and RML for a, a few years was certainly a big part of that process. The design philosophy of this car is that in the absolute... This is a very 21st century car that has, in terms of where it comes from, some very grounded and in some ways old-fashioned thinking behind it. I don't mean in the design, I mean about where it comes from. First thing you do if you're going to design a brand new car is you look at the regulations and you look at where the regulations allow you to do something different. Now, in the FIA, the ACO regulations for P1, quite a lot of what is there is fairly proscriptive, but enough to make your own development of the car. Look at what we've got with Porsche, with Audi, with Toyota uh, and there are three different answers to the same question, very different answers. So that proves that there's some wiggle room there. But also look deeper and find where there's an area advantage that with a bit of out-of-the-box thinking that you can exploit. And this is exactly what Ben Bowlby did when he started this project. And where I'm talking about here is mostly aerodynamics. And the whole raison d'etre of this car is aero driven the rear of the car the rear diffuser is probably the most highly proscribed part of an lmp1 racer you can't do that much with it so what you can get aerodynamically out of the back end of the car is pretty much the same for everybody where the advantage is is at the front of the car the issue then is getting the balance between aero at the front and the back where the center of pressure lies in the car and because you can't do very much with the back of it if you do something with the front your problem then is that you need to rebalance the car the good news is that if you do something aerodynamically at the front it has a lower drag coefficient i.e it slows you down a little 
less than if you did the same thing at the back, which you aren't allowed to do anyway. So Ben looked at this in a completely different way and thought, if we can move the physical mass of the car forward, then that helps with the balance. And that's why the engine's in the front of the car. It's also, to a certain extent, why the front wheels are the driven wheels, because having stuck the engine up front, why would you want to mess around with the airflow at the back by putting in a diff and drive shafts? There aren't any on the Nissan because there's no power at the moment to the rear wheels and more of that in a moment. And also the overhangs and everything else at the front are a little more free in the regulations as they stand right now. That's the clever bit and that's why the car looks and has been designed the way it is. It's not just to be different. It's not just an end in itself. There are sound, Graham, sound technical reasons for this that have had very high up people in the other manufacturers go well I tell you what if it works we're in big trouble particularly at Le Mans because the car is producing a lot of downforce where it needs to but it's still very slippery much more slippery than the other three versions of LMP1 cars that we see out there and it has it has raised eyebrows in a good way from the technical staff of the other manufacturers absolutely and i think you know it, it is a concept yet still to be proven of course of and, course and the uh, the one group of people that will know whether or not those figures are beginning to be produced will be the Nissan team themselves and you know i'm seeing big smiles at the moment from the people that we speak to at Nissan and uh, the opportunity for people to speak to them themselves because they will be at Silverstone um, throughout the weekend. Most of the drivers uh, plus uh, believe on the Saturday we'll see Ben and Darren along with uh, one of the cars in one of the garages for the weekend. So the car will be there for fans to see, which is great news, um, but but not yet in a raceable form. No. But um, I think it's just it's exciting. It's disappointing it's not going to be there for the first two races. Of course it is. But you know what? I'd much rather we saw a car in competitive form than a team struggling and you know uh, i'd rather they came tested it brought it to them on let us see what the thing can do and continue that development curve i think what we've got here is a player uh, i think that's very very good news and i think the success that they've had off the track so far and let's hope on the track later in the year john will only persuade others in a similar position to make that choice to come forward oh, I agree. and show and, and show whether or not they're prepared to commit. Now, the other thing I would say, and this is a WEC season preview, is that car will turn up at Le Mans. It will be good at Le Mans. That's the circuit it was designed for. Uh, let's not forget. It won't be as good as it will be at Le Mans next year for the simple reason... All of the things I just talked about in terms of advantage, basically at the moment, the back wheels are just keeping the exhausts off the ground. Actually, they're not because the exhausts come out the front. The back wheels are just keeping the rear bodywork uh, off the ground and the diffuser. Next year, they will be driven. And because of the way the car is balanced and the fact that you can um, push a lot of uh, power through to the back wheels, additional power through the back wheels because the back wheels aren't driving that car coming out of corners next year when they get their secondary hybrid system up and running it's not now there's been issues highly publicized we don't need to go into those now so they won't have that at Le Mans so whatever pace they've got at Le Mans this year will be more next year because of the addition of that second uh, hybrid system that drives the rear wheels Um, I'm excited about it I'm I sometimes wonder that the naysayers, I mean, why do they bother? 
really. Why do they bother? Come we and are... find out. You know what? Come and find yeah. out. If if you know if you want if you're right, then you know we'll we'll have that discussion over a coffee or a beer, and we'll all agree that perhaps you were right on this occasion. But you know, for me, it's too much of a cottage industry and saying bad things about, uh, Great. about you know everything. I'd much rather let the guys have a crack at it. Yeah. You know, everybody gets a shot. This is Nissan's shot. Yeah. Quick word about uh, another couple of cars that sadly won't be there and another effort that is worthy of mention, however, uh, and that is Bart Hayden and the Rebellion's very, very late decision to change the motive power unit in those very pretty uh, Rebellion R1 coupes, and effectively that's put them out of contention for at least the first one, maybe two rounds, Grim. Well, it's, uh, they're, they're going to miss the first two races, John. They, that's just to, just to go through the the tale here. Rebellion, of course, uh, have been the serial winners um, almost by default, but not quite. Uh, we'll come to talk about that in just a moment of the the privateer side. It is not a divided class this time. LMP1 is a single class, but uh, the Rebellion R1 debuted last year, of course, with the Toyota V8. Frankly, I think they were very disappointed by the punch they had last year, not just compared to the factory cars and that vertical plane of uh, development, but actually as a standalone. Toyota V8 uh, disappears uh, from privateer uh, hands this year, and they had the option of the uh, ex-Audi DTM engine effect, which I think was going to be their first choice, but a late decision taken to go with instead the AER turbo engine that uh, features in there the other contender, if you like, in this, uh, well, not subclass anymore, but we'll continue to call it that for... P1BIS. Uh, P1BIS, but um, the AER uh, turbo engine... The problem there is decision was made very late, and that is not the work of a moment. That is a massive, massive re-engineering job on because, this car. Because, Graham, and we should say, unlike, for example, a Propriety P2 car, this was a car that wasn't developed at this stage to run with anything other than a Toyota engine. The concept, the design and everything of yeah. the R1 was built around the venerable Toyota V8 normally aspirated engine. It was, and what this causes uh, issues in terms of the cooling, how the engine needs to breathe. That has knock-on effects with the aerodynamics, which are absolutely essential here. And, of course, that means new bodywork. And uh, talk to Hugh Deshonak and his team at Orica over the week of the ELMS and WEC testing in a piece we should be putting on the website uh, pretty soon. And, you know, there's there's a lot of work that is required there. So they are going to miss Silverstone. They are going to miss Spa. We'll see the team back at Le Mans. But you know what, John? Much as that's disappointing, I think it gives us an opportunity. Why does it give us an opportunity? Because it brings competition back into Agreed. this subclass. It means they've got something to chase. And the thing they've got to chase is going to be the number four car. Uh, back again this year in a very different look, different team name, different livery. It's Braun. Uh, it's Braun. They've it gone for the brawn F1 colours. Right. It's bicolours racing. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> you're absolutely right. Pearlescent white with shocking yellow. Um, it is the same X Lotus now CLM. Still don't know what it stands for. P1 slash 01 AER. Another brilliantly named car there from uh, the marketing team. Uh, but <laughs> the the car. Um, it's a pretty looking thing. The AER has got a lot of punch. Yes. Uh, 
but uh, I have to say, it wasn't very impressed by the level of reliability that we saw from the car at the prologue. Let's hope that they can bring it uh, up to speed by the time we get racing at Silverstone. Is that car finally homologated? I did hear a story that that car wasn't properly homologated last year and that it was effectively running under waivers. Uh, don't know is the straight answer. Uh, I just hope you know we get a serious effort here. Um, it it's c- kind of it, it looked very good when we first saw what was then called the Lotus uh, last year, and frankly, it just seemed to tail off as the year went uh, went on. Not helped, of course, by that disastrous fire for the first chassis yep. at uh, Fuji. Fuji. But what we're going to see is Simon Trummer, who is another Swiss driver. Uh, it seems to be uh, mandatory now for every team to actually feature a Swiss uh, aboard the car. And joined at Silverstone for, by Vitantonio Liuzzi, ex-Formula 1 driver, of course, and a man that drove for the team in LMP2 days back in the day. Tony Liuzzi, very quick. Let's hope the car can produce something. Uh, what they're going to need to do, though, John... Uh, more than anything else, is finish. Hmm. If they finish, it gives us a competition where by the time we get to Le Mans with the two rebellions, I'm sure, kind of barking and scraping at the end of the lead, uh, waiting to be let off the leash and, <laughs> and hunt them down. But so uh, that's what I think I'd like to see. But for the moment, Colin Collis and his redoubtable bunch get the opportunity to have a free crack at both here and Spa. Get to the finish, boys. That's what matters more than anything else. Do it reliably. Do it as quickly as you can, but get to the finish. Uh, You're listening to the FIA World Endurance Championship uh, preview for LMP1 on RadioLamont.com. It's a midweek motorsport special with Graham Goodwin there of DailySportsCar.com and me, John Hindorf. Well, we've talked about the world champions. We've talked about cars that aren't there. And we've talked about the Bicolis, the new entrant into the non-works category. That leaves us in the second half of this programme time to talk about the two German entrants. And let's start with the four rings of Audi, now in a new home at Neustadt, purpose-built for motorsport, and they have made the best of that over the winter. All that remains of last year's R18 e-tron Quattro is what was described to me in our Meet the Audi team programme as the spine of the car. The monocoque is the same as last year. The engine and gearbox are the same as last year, although the engine has been modified and found more efficiencies have been found. But everything else, notably the aerodynamics, which are visible, but also the flywheel hybrid system, even down to the magnets on the electric motor, have been looked at, have been optimised, have been redesigned. To all intents and purposes, Graham, this is a brand new car, all bar the actual centre part of it. Everything that's hung off it pretty much has been either looked at or changed. And what it also is, particularly in the aero situation, I think... I got mixed answers on this when I asked this question. I think this is a slight change of philosophy for Audi because this is not a conservative design. They have found big gains, reports of lap record pace in testing at Sebring. They have, of course, doubled their megajoule category, albeit from two to four, but that's that's a 100% improvement in in basically a year. That is impressive stuff. And this is an Audi that looks leaner and meaner. And if the times are anything to go by, is already a contender for the season. Uh, 
perfectly summarised. I'll shut up now. That no, okay, right. Uh, but basically, you're absolutely right, John. In terms of efficiency gain, then Audi have actually won the off-season battle. It's that hundred percent increase in um, hybrid output from the same technology. But the bigger change, you're quite right, is is under the skin. And the two or three areas worthy of mention here. Uh, well, let's get to the first bits first. Um, improved intelligent braking, intelligent suspension. Um, but by far, the biggest step forward, I'm sure, is going to be that aero package. Mm. It is radically different from anything we've seen uh, from Audi before, with the possible exception of the original trick stuff we saw from the R15 some years ago. Uh, but they've taken a good hard look at it. There are, for the, for the from the point of view of the other teams, worrying signs of confidence from... <laughs> uh, I'll slightly correct you, because I think you had a slightly, if you forgive me, hybrid version of uh, Ingolstadt and Neuburg. Uh, uh, sorry, and, yes, Neuburg, <laughs> yes. Uh, moving from the old uh, supermarket that was Ingolstadt, and yes, it was a, an old supermarket, 34 years on that site, to their stunning new place in Neuburg, uh, and they're using that facility well. Um, let me give you just a kind of a flavour. John, you mentioned the, the reported potential lap records at, uh, at Sebring. We're going to come on to talk about Porsche and their pace in the prologue, uh, I know, in just a wee while. But consider this. Yes, Porsche were quicker uh, over a single lap at, um, at Paul Ricard. But over the longer runs, Audi were quicker. Mm. What that means is they found consistency. What it means is... Uh, that they've unlocked, I think, the potential of this package. Have invested very wisely. Uh, you're right. There is. A, it's a kind of meaner, kind of more aggressive look to the car. Is it ever? Uh, and uh, don't count these guys out. Just don't count them out because they're going to be right there. No, Graham. I think you're right. The air of quiet confidence that the Audi Sport squad are. I mean, they're not shouting about it. They did what they needed to do at the prologue in, in sometimes quite windy conditions. They were pleased at how the car coped with those uh, difficult conditions. I I see something there that I haven't seen in Audi for a while, and, and it is that quiet confidence. I think they truly believe. Le Mans is their playground. They know how to win that race, but they weren't competitive, uh, really, throughout the rest of the year for the most part. There was one or two circuits that actually uh, did show the R18 e-tron quattro in a slightly better uh, better light but this is a car I think that is probably the ultimate iteration of their flywheel system we talked about Toyota probably needing to move on and in fact saying that they're moving on to battery power for 16 and beyond Audi have tinkered uh, and they have admitted that they have tinkered with other systems the systems secondary systems on hybrid systems on that car didn't produce enough of an advantage to mitigate the complication or the weight that it would have added to the car. They've found another two megajoules out of that flywheel system, which in itself is is remarkable. They are running at four megajoules and they are really running at four megajoules. They're not just saying we declared in four megajoules and we've probably got three and a quarter or 2.9, 2.9, they are running at 4 megajoules. We'll see some big differences from this car. There's still a little bit of, I think, concern that um, they're locked into the current 
um, balance of technology, equalisation of technology until after this year's Le Mans, remember. So the coefficients for the fuel and the fact that I'm even talking about this tells you how technical the regulations are nowadays haven't really changed uh, since Le Mans last year. When I should really change, there's a slight change because they've changed fuel manufacturer. All of the teams have changed fuel manufacturer, so there's had to be a rebalancing um, because the specific calorific value of the new fuel for ACO Le Mans uh, racing is slightly different to the old fuel. But effectively, the balance between diesel and petrol is as it was last year, which bizarrely, in my mind, and I think counterproductively, sees a diesel engine not being able to go as far on a tank of fuel as a petrol engine, when it clearly, if it was real-world appropriate, it would be the other way around. But I tell you what, Graham, they're not making as much as that, uh, of that as they have in the past. I think they've found something. I think they've found a lot. Uh, credit has to go to the aero team, who I asked all of the principals, was it a bit of a, a chance? Did they take a chance? Was it being brave on going down this new route? And they said, simply, we had to. And this is a car, by the way, that was in design in the early part of 2014. So they've done a lot of work on this car before we've seen it. And and I think this new direction, and it is a new direction for the Aero, has found them something that they're something more, perhaps, than even they were expecting. And that's bad news for everybody else up and down the pit lane because <laughs> well, they, they, they've done Chong, more with less than anybody else in the past. And again, it's a difference. We talked for at length about the philosophy at Nissan. We talked a little bit about what's been happening at Toyota. But it's not just technology. It's philosophy. You know, it's not just the kind of, we've got this system for hybrid and we've got this system for our, you know, main uh, main engine. It's about philosophy. It's about the, the role and the balance between motive power and aerodynamics. And why is that important? Because, again, we come back to the E-word, the efficiency word, that, you know, you've got this lift and coast necessity now. The cars get up to speed and then the guys will lift off to re- to, to uh, reduce the amount of hybrid power they're actually deploying and, the, and to, to save fuel. And you know, the, the aerodynamics then come into play because, of course, that allows them to maintain momentum. And it's there's vast differences in the philosophy. So from the point of view of the techie, um, you know, it's it's utterly, completely fascinating as to who's going to call this right. What will we see over the next couple of years? Well, I think what we'll see is that gradually these huge differences in philosophy will start to kind of come together a little more as the, the correct route, the best routes, if you like, start to kind of focus in. But it's going to take a couple of years to get to that point. And while they're finding out this is just an absolutely fantastic point in time when you've got very intelligent people with huge resources at their disposal coming up with all sorts mm. of different uh, answers to the same question. Yeah, and if you are planning any year to go to an FIAWEC event, and particularly to Le Mans this year, do is it, do it now. the year to go and do it. I I have no real uh, positive uh, evidence for what I'm about to say, and I may well be putting two and two together and getting slightly more than even five. I have the feeling that Audi have are doing something different with their their hybrid as well this year in the terms of how they use it. They've got twice as much power, genuinely twice as much power as they had last year. Now with a hybrid system you can use it to make you go faster to punch you out of the corners or you can use it to make you use less fuel, to help you use less fuel and extend your stint lens. I think Audi have done both 
this year. And I think the lap deficit at Le Mans that they have typically had and the perhaps almost sometimes a couple of laps difference at most of the WEC circuits, I think that will be... I hope it's completely diminished at Le Mans. Um, I think it will be reduced in the other races. Of course, there's no point in getting three quarters of a lap more at Le Mans. It just doesn't help you. But I think they're doing something a little bit different from what everyone else is doing with their hybrid and using that retained power, that harvested power, in a slightly different way. Uh, No Tom Christensen this year, and whilst no one can replace him, somebody has to get in the car in his stead. And this is Ollie Jarvis uh, with the Luca Degrassi and Loic Duval pairing. And, of course, that is uh, the number eight car this year because Toyotas are one and two. Um, and the seven car uh, has in it the very decent driver lineup of Marcel Fesler, who is just one of the nicest guys in a... a paddock full of nice guys in sports car racing he's very fast very quietly spoken but an absolute monster on the track Andre Lotterer and Ben Trelluer in the other car all all the elements are there for Audi Grimm I think so just a little word about the number seven crew by the way uh, which is just becoming one of the classic uh, sports car squads and the, you know, I know it's a question that often comes up doesn't it in pub conversation and on Midway Motorsport as well about classic driver lineups and kind of X and Bell etc and uh, of course Christensen Capello and McNish come up but uh, that trio the number of races they've they've uh, they've pulled together and uh, pulled you know Le Mans wins in multiple world championships and you know who's to bet against them this year uh, it's a cracking lineup it's a cracking car they are, at the moment, the quiet ones. Uh, I wonder how quiet it's going to be after Silverstone. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, they had a horrible start to the season, did they not? Uh, well, John, uh, last I'm year. told that that race last year, where, of course, they wrote off both tubs mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the race, that race is not spoken about at Neuburg. They don't talk really? about that. Absolutely. You don't talk about Silverstone. It's like Fight Club. You know, it's, uh, you don't talk about Silverstone last year. It's, really? it's, it's, it's that bad. It's that bad. Okay. Um, they go back to the seven and eight numbers and seven's always been a lucky number for Joost. Uh, seven and eight, two of the numbers that have won Le Mans, I think as many times uh, as, as anyone else um, uh, down through the years. Obviously, number one in the old days that used to be the biggest engine cars were numbered one down to the smallest engine car. So that always had a, a slight advantage. But seven and, and eight, which uh, are John, the two numbers are looking choice, for them. Interesting choice. So which of the two crews gets the seven? Hmm. Because you know, back in the That's day, and okay, we've gone we've gone through rotation, of course, with uh, the you know the classic Audi squads, and uh, it's a pretty still a pretty new looking squad in the number eight car, even with Oli Jarvis being the new addition, but Loic Duval and Lucas Degrassi, uh, that is the car that uh, with McNish and with Christensen at the wheel that you would have said, wouldn't you, uh, would have been the seven in the past, but yeah. uh, no, the the seven crew, and you you would. There are no team orders at Audi, but no. I think there is a favoured squad, and I think it's a seven. Right, OK. So that's Audi, back to their very, very best. You're listening to a Midweek Motorsports special here on RadioLeMond.com as we look at the LMP1 category in the FAA World Endurance Championship, starting at Silverstone, of course. Graham Goodwin is on the line from Daily Sports Car. Dot com HQ and we are left then uh, with 
just the Porsches. Man, you know, they've just ha- the Porsches. They, they've hardly done anything during no. the the closed season. They've no. uh, they've only designed a brand new car with brand new monocoque and brand new battery pack, which is uh, now down to I think something under eighty uh, kilos of batteries, and they've gone up to the maximum amount of harvested energy allowed, which around a lap at Le Mans is eight megajoules, which underlines, Graham, what we've been saying about variety because we've got uh, a two-litre petrol engine turbocharged. We've got a uh, four-litre diesel uh, turbocharged engine. We've got the normally aspirated Toyota engine. We have flywheels. We have supercapacitors and we have batteries and we have four six and eight megajoules in terms of the categories that the guys are running in and there are slight differences in terms of weight and fuel uh, that you are allowed or fuel capacity fuel usage rather that you're allowed in those categories this is a bold step forward for porsche too they had a good season in mission 2014 our return, as they dubbed it, and this is 2015, this time we're really serious. This is the sequel, <laughs> if you like. Uh, well, I'll give you another, I'll tell you what, here's another, here's another reference for you, John. You remember Crocodile Dundee? Yeah. You remember the scene with the guy mugging him? <laughs> yes. Where he says, you got a knife, that's a knife. This is a knife. This, this is a P1 thing. car. This, uh, this is, is a weapon. The, 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 the stark numbers at the prologue were literally, and, and, and the whole press room took a, an intake of breath when they saw A, the lap times, and B, the trap speeds of this Porsche. Now, albeit in a qualifying simulation, and qualifying's changed this year, just one lap counting from each of the drivers, which I think is a bit of a shame. And if you wish, you can use a second set of tyres, but that is a set of tyres that you won't then have new tyres for use in the race so tactics will start even earlier in the weekend than we have seen before but the numbers were staggering Graham uh well I mean look we're used to seeing the clever people in sports car racing producing year-on-year improvements of you know a tenth or two or a half a second or three quarters of a second here and there uh, but let's not forget look these are cars that are designed to use less energy more efficiency blah 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 four and a half seconds for god's sake four and a half <laughs> seconds quicker year on year four and a half seconds now interestingly we've not had proper figures out of Porsche in terms of what this car is actually producing in real world power terms. I'll tell you, look, it's more it's than 1,000 horsepower. It's way more than 1,000 horsepower. I mean, it, it was ludicrous levels of speed. 338 kilometres per hour on the straights in very windy conditions. Ludicrous levels of speed and, you know, and incredibly efficient at the same time. Big smiles from Porsche. They think they've got it right. So do Audi. So do Toyota. You know, it's... John, it, it, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, and by the way, 338 kilometres an hour is a small matter of 210 uh, miles an hour for those that work in uh, in imperial measurement, uh, which I think we're going to start to see 220 again down the, the yep. faster parts of Le Mans, which is great, but kind of scary too. And again, 
read into what I'm about to say, whatever you wish. You want to see these cars at the absolute zenith of their development potential. Go and see them this year. Uh, they, they will be reined back. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that they will be reined back. I can't wait for Beckett's at Silverstone. I mean, <laughs> the great news is that you and I, um, because we're doing tele duties this year, do get the chance to to go out. And I'm going out. I never get to see them. I want to see those cars in that. I'm coming with you. That coming change with you. <laughs> of direction through uh, through Beckett's and out onto the uh, the, the Hangar Strait and. I think that is going to be otherworldly this year. Um, they are so quick. Last year, everybody who saw the cars was seeing how they produced their lap times differently at Silverstone. Um, some with higher top speeds. Toyotas, particularly with that supercapacitor, pinging out of the slower corners. I, I really can't wait for this. Uh, Porsche then have thrown down the gauntlet early, Graham. They got the win at the end of the season at Sao Paulo last year, which I don't think they were expecting. They led Le Mans um, convincingly at one stage uh, and then had issues. Don't think they were quite expecting that either. In some ways, that gives them a slightly harder job this year because they've got to build on that. And the very quiet first year, our return, has has now become in a world where Porsche dominates. <laughs> because it's back to that again. They had a hard time last year, didn't they, in managing everybody's expectations because it's Porsche, because they've got the fabulous record and still the outright wins record at Le Mans people expected them to come and blow everybody else away even in their first year of return and they played it down it was quietly quietly our return it's okay mission our return well that's been blown out the water by the win at the end of the year by the pole positions by the podium finishers and by this all right, early season testing pace, but they've done that. They didn't have to do that at, at, at Ricard. They could have run round in broadly speaking, the same times as everybody else. They wanted to put that out there. They've announced their back, as far as I'm concerned. I think you're absolutely right. Well, first things first, clever move, I think, to retain the full-season driver lineup. There's a different look for the third car at Le Mans, and that, of course, is an additional... Uh, additional commitment from Porsche this year for Spa and Le Mans. There'll be that third car, um, but uh, retained the the driving lineup. The most impressive thing I think they've achieved. Forget for a moment the trap speeds. Forget for a moment the lap times. Is what they've done technically. And you mentioned John. Uh, they've stepped up to eight megajoules. The first team to do that. Correct. They won't. I'm sure be the last. Um, but they've done so with, again, a pretty similar approach that we described at Audi, which is looking at all the elements, improving, 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 knowing full well that the issue for them was going to be the potential additional weights of getting there and the the, uh, knock-on effect that gives them in terms of the effect on error and cooling, which they have addressed. But they've addressed it, and what they've got is an 8-megajoule system that doesn't place any more weight into the car than 6 did. That is an astonishing achievement. And they're that using is. all of that eight as well. Absolutely. By, I, I think when they were six, they weren't always getting six. Now they are getting all eight, and that's why you're seeing this massive jump up in performance from them. 
that that is going to be the key is can they retain getting the eight through a whole race distance because that has often been the the issue with these systems is can you retain the level of efficiency over a race distance that's going to be the key for all of these teams but no more so than the one that's put all their eggs in the in the the mega jewel basket and that mm. is Porsche and we'll wait and see well they've but, got the know, smallest engine of course so so in some ways they've had no choice but to do that they're uh, their uh, internal combustion engine, um, and again, no figures forthcoming for this, but is the smallest capacity and therefore potentially produces slightly less power and a bit less torque than the larger, much larger, twice as large capacity virtually uh, of their two major rivals. So I think this is a smart move. They've pushed their battery technology on massively. The guys who do their batteries have been under pressure. Nick Damon's our uh, specialist on that sort of thing they are lithium-ion style batteries so they are something similar to what you have in your mobile phone except 80 kilos of it laid flat uh, to the side of the driver in a in a particular way that they do it it's very cleverly done the cars become 17 and 18 this year rather than the 20 and 14 for 2014 our return uh, the 17 is weber hartley and bernard 18 uh, Dumas, uh, Lieb and Yarny and again they've got the tools as well Graham so where two predictions here from you if you will in fact no three Silverstone the championship and Le Mans um, and we'll we'll go into our Le Mans previews of course after we've seen the cars or at least after you've seen the cars at, at test day and we've got a couple of races under our belts but as we stand here without a competitive wheel being turned in anger I think we're looking at possibly the most competitive LMP1 championship in a lifetime in certainly in my lifetime of, of watching sports cars and also the most exciting for various reasons, including that competitiveness. Um, and all three manufacturers, I think, will take poles. Well, maybe not Audi taking pole, but I think they will all take race wins and they are all in with a shout, as I see it right now, with the championship and even with Le Mans. The, there are two things to say here, John, before I get to the, the answer to your questions. The first is, all of these teams have taken very different directions, mm-hmm. not in terms of the technology, because we already knew the technology a bit, but in terms of philosophy, you've got very different ways in which the teams have actually tried to squeeze the best out in the off-season. That's the first thing to say, and that, I think, is exciting in its own right. The second thing is, I haven't got a clue. Not, <laughs> no, and that is the best thing. I have no idea whatsoever. So is that a bad have, thing, though? Is that no, a bad thing? No, it's a really, really good thing. It's, it's kind of, it's the best thing, if you like. So everything I'm now going to say is complete guesswork. The guesswork is this. Uh, I think Toyota are going to win at Silverstone. Mm-hmm. I think Audi could well win at Le Mans, and I think Porsche could well take the season. And that would be everybody reasonably happy, um, I think. I, you know what? I, I hope everyone is as competitive as, as we think they are. I hope we have a safe season, clearly. Uh, the kind of performance levels that we are seeing now from these cars and the increase in performance of P1, people may think that in a multi-class race, that's an issue. Actually... 
I think that will help mitigate some of the traffic issues that we've seen in the past because these P1 cars, Graham, are going to be rocket ship quick. Can you imagine when we're standing looking at them down the back straight at Shanghai going maybe 10 or 15 miles an hour quicker than they were yes, last yes I year? Can. Yes, I can. <laughs> The, the issue has been in the past, hasn't it, that the individual classes in multi-class racing, whether it's here in the FIAWAC, the ELMS, or in IMSA racing in the States, is that the performance differential hasn't been enough to make reasonably easy and sensible passes on pace alone. It's all happening between turning and apex, which is a recipe for disaster. The bigger cars the more aerodynamically efficient cars go deeper into the braking zone and they can take more speed to the apex than say the gt the production based cars on the way out the production based cars have got more mechanical grip and in fact actually through the center of the corner when particularly when the prototypes are aero limited uh, in terms of the lower speeds there's probably not that much difference what we're seeing here now are a set of regulations that have produced P1 cars that are worthy of the name and that are A-class above everything else, at least a class above everything else, and in terms of acceleration, top speed, and even the aerodynamic efficiency, because they're not that much slower through the corners, by the way, even though they are less draggy. They are in their own class, and it should make the racing through the traffic more spectacular, but in some ways safer. Uh, I think you're right, and uh, you know anybody that's got access to uh, the the TV coverage and the in cars in particular, do watch it because watching those things uh, move through traffic is otherworldly. Thing of beauty. It's uh, it's a fabulous thing, and it, you know it is mouth watering, isn't it, John? I mean, yeah, we talked about this beginning of last season, how much we're looking forward to it. We weren't disappointed. My level of expectation this season you know, has just taken another leap forward. I cannot wait to get going. Um, you know, I can't wait. I, I don't think I've ever said these words before. I can't wait to get to Silverstone. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I really am looking forward to, to watching this, to talking with you and with the listeners and the viewers about it through the season. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is uh, one for the ages. Mm. It, it, it could just be that this is a breakthrough year for sports car racing in a whole host of ways. Um, uh, we've got huge levels of expectation about the quality of the racing. I do hope, actually, here's a slightly controversial position. I do hope that somebody hasn't got it very much more right than others because yeah. what I want to see is Good I want to see the kind of racing we saw last season, which was epic. I read a uh, comment from somebody, a bad tempered comment from somebody saying the racing in the WEC was rubbish. Terribly sorry, mate. What have they been watching? You need a new Labrador. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's magnificent, and the traffic aspect just adds to that. The level of competitiveness, the level of professionalism, all of that was there last year. This year, more, better, more colourful, more power in the case of the P1 cars, more competitive in the case of all the other classes. Um, and, you know, I expect at the end of the season, uh, you and I to be bubbling about a season review. Well, we go into the 2015, as you've heard from Graham Goodwin, the editor of dailysportscar.com, full of expectation and hope. Of course, everything is possible at this time of the year. The only way that we will know uh, is to be there, to watch it, to listen. And I hope you'll join us here on RadioLamont.com and on WEC TV throughout the season. And if you can get to the races, really do make the effort to come, particularly to Le Mans this year. You know, the 
thought of Mark Webber going back to his route in international racing, that being sports cars, having a real chance of being a world champion and a Le Mans winner this year. The thought of Audi taking back their world championship from Toyota, who could easily defend. And that's only in the top class. With the kind of racing that Graham and I have been talking about, it's really a very good time to be a sports car fan. might even think that this is the FIA World Championship that is on the rise at the moment. And if you were to say that to me, I don't think I'd disagree at the moment. Thank you to Graham Goodwin for all of his Sage comments and to all the teams for the excellent access that we've always been able to have so that we can put these programmes together and bring you the little snippets. Join us for the full FIA WA season with our exclusive radio commentary and analysis on RadioLeMond.com and on WECTV with Graham and I. I'm looking forward to 2015. I hope you'll enjoy it with us. Bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.